1: Welcome to the New Books Network. The healthcare sector frequently emphasizes cultural competence, an elastic concept that stretches from the simplest recognition of diversity of patient populations to include policy implications of patients' overall worldviews regarding their body, health, and decision-making. The issue of culture and health highlighted again in the recent U.S. Supreme Court abortion decision, gained prominence during COVID-19 pandemic with the challenge of so-called marginal groups access to and compliance with the national vaccination programs. Legislation for equality is another issue that impacts minority health care with outcomes that have not always been favorable in the minority group's view. We will talk about these important dynamics with today's guest, Ben Kasten, an anthropologist at the University of Bristol and London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. His research explores public health, specifically what health protection means and according to whom. Ben's published works on public health include maternity care, childhood vaccinations, and sexuality education. Dr. Kasten notes that in our diverse liberal democracies, there are multiple claims for equality entitlements based on gender, religion, and sexual orientation, which some scholars see as competition between protections afforded by equality legislation. Ben Kasten, welcome to the podcast. Renee, thank you uh, for the invitation. Now, I understand that you have a health issue yourself, Ben. You just recovered from COVID, and you still have uh, some coughing and uh, other residual symptoms. Still, still
0: recovering, unfortunately. Um, so please bear with me, and I hope I don't uh, cough and splutter too much. But I'm sure many uh, people listening would have also had COVID and, and might uh, be able to sympathize.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we also wish you a speedy and complete recovery. Thank you. Since your research was conducted in the UK, let's start with the question of equality in healthcare, raised by the UK's equality legislation. Okay. What are some of the health policy issues where there is tension between the rights and freedoms of various protected groups? Well, we can take,
0: for example, <coughs> forgive me, sorry, the um, Equality Act um, as as probably quite a major one um, in in England, which affords uh, legal protections on on the basis of uh, race, uh, gender, sexual orientation, disability, um, to, to name just a few of of those categories. And and I think uh, you know what is interesting is how um, areas of healthcare um, might lead to friction uh, between those um, those different categories that, that that again have equal protections under the law uh, so in um, 2019 there were statutory changes for example to the teaching of uh, sex uh, and relationships education um, making it compulsory um, in in schools in England um, and which which um, very quickly led to uh, claims of, of these frictions um, Uh, between religious minority populations um, saying that no, we don't want um, these issues to be taught um, in our schools and we sent, you know, children are sent to these particular schools to have a, a consistency in the ethos between home and school Um, so why should we be Uh, forced to teach us Um, and then obviously you could make uh, the counter argument that um, you know rights to religious freedom whatever those are defined as um, themselves can be quite ambiguous or evolving need to be balanced alongside different kinds of rights rights to um, education for example rights to um, be to receive uh, the information and the knowledge and able to live in in our, in the societies and and at the very very least the right to to receive the knowledge of what the law is and what the law expects and of of each and, and every one of us. So that might be one particular example.
1: Sometimes it seems like the law or the state comes in. Uh, between competing groups and are basically with the message, let's you and him fight, that, <laughs> that, that there is competition between uh, the very legitimate and felt needs of both groups. You bring a really interesting example of uh, how it works in a different direction. Uh, in the case of autopsies, in Britain, uh, that uh, Jews and Muslims—well, you tell the story.
0: Yes, I, I think you're referring to um, a situation that had happened um, in London. And if I can um, remember the case um, clearly enough, a, a senior coroner um, had r- refused to um, prioritize the, you know, the signing off of, of deaths um, for for religious reasons from. Um, religious Jews and religious Muslims, um, and instead um, tried to institute a a cab rank rule. So, you know, essentially um, the first person to die would be would be signed off and and go down in that descending order because on um, I think her her position was that any death is is traumatic for a family and should be uh, processed um, in um, with the same kind of care and and speed as, as any other. Um, and obviously, you had then um, religious groups who were uh, countering that on on the on an urgency of uh, religious law to bury the dead as as quickly as possible. So then raising all kinds of questions of um, equality um, and equity, and obviously the difference between equality. so treating everybody the same and, and equity, you know giving each uh, group what it needs in order to to have uh, the same outcomes, uh, for example. And then, of course, you know, or there, there was the this issue around the so-called cab rank rule, and uh, more broadly, questions of um, kind of invasive surgical autopsy, and and um, you know, more digital methods of autopsy, and uh, making those available uh, for religious groups um, as well. So that that is also um, another um, example, and 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 you could say raises questions of um, not only how the state or um, actors of the state manage uh, the possible tension with inequality, but also construct the tension itself, um, if that makes sense.
1: It, it absolutely does. And it's actually not a, a new uh, problem. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Some European countries have outlawed uh, male circumcision and um, ritual slaughter, kosher and halal meat, uh, on the basis of public health and ethics. Um, Is that part of the issue, or is that a a separate struggle that those two groups had to (laughs) conduct? Um, it's
0: it, you know it's it's, it's another question. Uh, uh, for example, again of, of balancing um, different rights and whether the state manages and manages uh, that balancing act or con- or constructs that uh, friction. Uh, for example, the the ethics of um, of the integrity of um, the child's body, for example, and and you know the religious mandates. Um, and that's certainly a tension that we've been seeing in um, certain countries um, in Europe, and, and obviously um, the kind of um, policy issues that we've seen um, around uh, female genital mutilation or genital cutting, and, and then um, particular stakeholders saying, "Well, if we're applying that ethic to um, to young girls, then they should also be applied uh, to, to young boys," so that there's kind of um, the same protections across the board. Obviously, that's not getting into the polemics and the differences uh, between the two uh, practices. But um, that's certainly been a counter-argument that that we've been seeing.
1: But but it also reflects uh, something you write about and um, seems to be underlining a lot of these uh, conflicts that relate to the state, and that is the idea that equality is uniformity. Uh, I, that's a notion you don't agree with. But, but I think the state seems to start with that idea. We treat everyone equally means we treat them the same. Okay. Sorry, I'm not sure what the question was there. Uh, it, well, is it, <laughs> that's how it seems to me, that that's an underlining uh, a problem or difference in perspective. Um, you're writing, am I correct in saying that you don't agree with the idea that equality uh, implies uniformity, that everybody should be treated fairly means everyone should be treated the same. Right. I, I mean, and it's it's a complicated one because, um, you know, the state um,
0: will really try um, to, to manage these um these differences and 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 how law and policy works in, in the context of increasingly diverse populations, um, but there there may be some cases where that might be um, necessary. For example, and then again, you know, thinking about the the issue of of relationships and sex education, and um, it, at least attempting. Uh, for example, to offer or meet the minimum requirements in education um, around uh, keeping young people safe in a a rapidly changing world um, and balancing that with um, religious sensitivities and sensibilities. Um, But there are other areas where that issue of equality doesn't work and we need to really be talking about equity and really giving each population group Uh, what it needs or striving to, at the very, very least, um, in order to um, get to the same outcome. And, you know, obviously, equalities and inequalities is a very political concept in itself. um, And uh, states uh, may not want to um, be seen to um, be causing them. For example, um, and and sometimes when you you'll see in British or, or in England um, kind of policy documents or government outputs, there'll be the kind of sanitizing language of disparities, uh, which has very very different meanings to kind of inequities or inequalities, um, and removes you know what we might say political accountability or political causation. Um, so that's that's also uh, you know when do issues of equality bleed into other other questions of, of equity.
1: Again, I hope well, that's clear. Yes, it, it is. And and he, here's another example of a kind of a misunderstanding or misinterpretation uh, between minority groups and and the state. Uh, we've all heard about uh, religious exemptions to the taking the COVID vaccine. Um the U.S. Army has it. Uh, it's part of American law, and uh, Great Britain is also uh, sensitive to that. But your research implies that vaccine hesitancy in religious communities is not necessarily based on religion. Um, tell us tell us what you learned about the immunization issue in one group, ultra-Orthodox Jews in Manchester. Sure. I think... Um...
0: You know, what, what you're getting at um, to answer your question in a roundabout way really raises a question of how um, public health and, and how health law is itself um, a cultural construction. You know, we're, we're talking about culture as it, as it belongs only to minority populations, but our legal systems, our public health systems are very much um, situated in their own culture and their own cultural domains. For example, uh, in the US, where certain states um, have kind of requirements and mandates around vaccination, you might also then find uh, religious exemptions, which really get to um, this uh, very, very interesting, but also unique place um, of religion in American society and law in a way that doesn't necessarily apply in the UK context. Um, There's no legal requirement or mandate to vaccinate for school entry for example so there aren't religious exemptions um (laughs) what i'd found in the uk uh, in working with uh haredi populations in manchester and and which has been published in um my book making bodies kosher which is available open open access download um from burkan books um was really that um haredi parents hold the same uh sets of concerns as as parents in the broader population um, is this the right uh, way to, to keep my <coughs> my child safe? Um, I'm you know breastfeeding, and and Haredi women generally breastfeed longer than uh, general white British women. Um, so how that interacts with their decisions? Um, <coughs> I've got one child at nursery and one child at home, so um, I need to vaccinate now. Um, but that decision might have been different for my firstborn, for example. Um, so so. All those kinds of concerns and, and the lingering concerns also around uh, you know the MMR uh, and the Wakefield controversy. Um, so so very very similar. I imagine though, what um, does inform those decision making processes differently? Is uh, you know the kind of information that's used, the social networks uh, that's used um, in this in the way that uh, general mainstream media uh, is not accessed to the same degree. That's not to say that there's no access to, at all, or no internet access, or no social media access. It's just perhaps used more cautiously or more selectively, <coughs> and and how that informs decisions. Um, but generally, I found that um, mothers and the decision was was mostly. Uh, down to the mum, wouldn't consult uh, rabbis around vaccinations. Very, very rarely, uh, I found that, and um, and that that was a really interesting uh, finding
1: uh, for me. Um, that it why, just generally why why wouldn't they consult rabbis
0: in in the way that they some parents would have felt that this wasn't an issue that would require rabbinic consultation.
1: Um, not in the
0: same because way because
1: it was not a religious issue. Because
0: it was not seen as a religious issue, not in the same way, or, or might interfere with religion in the same way that uh, parents had questions around contraception, for example, or birth spacing technologies. Um, so there were there, that's not to say that they didn't consult rabbis or rabbinic authorities, and sometimes um, they would. Um, but very very rarely, and I very very clearly remember one conversation with a mum saying, "Well, if you know you consult a rabbi and a rabbi says you've got to vaccinate, then you've really got to follow his word." Um, but we could, um, I think almost word for word she'd said we could in a roundabout way try to figure out what uh, he thinks about vaccination and then ask him so really you know um having these reservations it could be quite hazardous um you know if you've got your own position on vaccination and you go to rabbi and he says no absolutely this is the right thing to do you've got to do it, it you know could completely uh, go against what they actually wanted um so Parents, um, especially those opposed to vaccination, would uh, be quite cautious about consulting rabbis. Sometimes they would underscore their general opposition um, by, you know, using a framework of um, religious opposition. Uh, for example, you know, concerns of um, vaccine safety and and um, interest in homeopathy and alternative medicine, um, and the kind of amplification of of uh, or uh, over determining of vaccine safety issues um, and, and kind of underscoring that in a religious legal uh, language to kind of consolidate and legitimize their opposition. But that was very, very much um, an issue among American Orthodox and Haredi uh, Jewish parents. And and again, I think that's because of the um, the influence of that very American legal public health culture of religious exemptions.
1: Now, you introduced an idea that was new to me, and, and I thought it had great depths, uh, both for the group that you studied, but also for others, uh, that helped me understand, in general, why there was so much objection or reluctance, hesitancy uh, about uh, the vaccinations. Uh, you write that Uh, immunization can be looked at as a metaphor for the creative boundary between the self and the larger world. Now, the self, in this case, is also the group. It's the boundary protecting the minority from not only the virus, but also from the social contagion of the outside world's values, so uh, can you speak to that a little? Because it seems like a wonderful metaphor and one that would help the state and the secular part of the population understand the concerns of minority groups. In In this case, it was uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews, but it would be true for o- Orthodox Muslims and other smaller minority religious groups. Sure. I mean... Protection has very different meanings for
0: very, you know, for different kinds of people, depending on who's being asked, um, and that needs to be considered as part of these conversations um, around vaccination or, or healthcare sector uh, more broadly. Uh, what people um, view as um, the the right way to protect ourselves, <coughs> and how. That aligns or doesn't? Excuse me, sorry. How that aligns or doesn't align um, with what uh, the state might uh, position as the right, responsible um, thing to do? Being a responsible citizen and really having those conversations. Um, and I think that again, to answer your question in a roundabout way, again, we very much often um, talk about the issues of um, <coughs> of objection and and positioning that as an issue within individuals and and, um, social groups, for example. But we also need to ask ourselves about the delivery of healthcare services, whether they are um, as flexible, as equitable, as accessible, as practical, as convenient, as um, sensitive as they could be. And how, by having those conversations, um, can also open us up to um, addressing these these questions around protection. You know what, for example, we saw in in the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, some fabulous collaborations between public health services and services within minority groups. Um, for example, to to collaborate and co deliver the vaccination program, we saw uh, vaccines being administered um, in mosques. Really taken. To people and communities, um, to promote that confidence, um, to promote that trust, to promote that access, and really, um, really showing how things can work very, very differently, um, and and I think that's a really, really crucial part of, of this conversation in, um, bringing together, negotiating, mediating what can sometimes be different ideas, of um of protection.
1: Uh, yes, I, I agree, and I think that's that was the concept of uh, cultural competence um, that we began with, just knowing that different subgroups may have a different calendar, uh, and so they're not available to make an appointment on a particular day, and bringing the vaccination to the mosque is a, is a great idea. Actually, that's done in the general community in the States as well. They there have been communities that offered vaccinations in public libraries because that's an institution that is close to the, to the people. Um, but basically, uh, the, the state and these minority communities we're talking about, as well as others, they have different and even opposing conceptions of health protection and also protecting their collective life. So finally, um, how should the secular state navigate between conservative actors who want to maintain their group identity and authority uh, and the state's policy objectives? And, and that, that is how to negotiate, what are your ideas about how to negotiate British values, if we can still use that term, uh, with Orthodox Muslim and Jewish values? Mm. Well, I think, you know,
0: the question of whether the state is secular is <laughs> another podcast conversation um, entirely. Um, but I, I think um, and there, there's an anthropologist, Arthur Kleinman, um, and he um, said something that really, really resonates with me. And that is um, you know, to routinely ask patients what matters uh, most to them. Uh, rather than to um assume but you know to try and determine and i think that that can be a starting point for um all kinds of conversations of uh cultural competence and in health or in society um and in how we just start the conversation and and i and i think that, that they really could be um a lot that sounds quite simple it sounds quite basic um but rather than going on the um defensive or the antagonistic to, to really start in, in having um, that opening conversation and um, not it's not going to work in every scenario you know we've, t- we've spoken about a lot of different issues um, but what could happen in, in the domain of autopsy and what could happen in, in relationships and sex education they're going to be different because there are potent the potential for as we've seen for different kinds of frictions uh, some more solvable Um, than others but we can at least uh, strive I think and um, you know the ultimate goal of of public health or statutory services as they're called in England is to serve populations and um, that might take different paths uh, for for different uh, different populations it's just having the resources and the infrastructure in place to at least try um, know where maybe we need to do something um different in order to get to the same end goal um and 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 again i think uh what strikes me about our conversation is just to to really underscore that um how public health or law or or our, our political systems operate are in themselves in cultural domains and culture is not just the um
1: something that belongs to minority groups And we often forget that that uh, that the state is not neutral; it's a culture in itself. It's it's a third party. Absolutely.
0: And then when we when we start with that, we understand how sometimes uh, states and policies and laws again can uh, construct the frictions that that we see.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you for bringing it to us our attention. I'm very mindful having just recovered from COVID myself, that I don't want to uh, wear you out or take advantage of your goodwill to participate in this conversation today. So, But before I let you go, tell us something about what you're working on now. Um, So I am uh, finishing up
0: uh, this uh, project on on relationships and sex education and starting a new project on uh, the delivery of... um, or the change in program of uh, tuberculosis vaccine with colleagues at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um, So very excited uh, to to take these questions forward in a a slightly different direction.
1: Well, lots of good luck with that project, both the one you're completing and the one you're starting. And thank you so much, Ben, for coming on the show today. Thank you, Renee. And thank you also to Bela for, um, for making this possible and sharing your time with me. Absolutely. Thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov.